Welcome to the Gilmer County Fire Rescue Podcast. Join us on this enlightening journey into the world of emergency services. Welcome to the EMS Edition Podcast for Gilmer County Fire Rescue's official podcast. Well, this is going to be episode one of, of the EMS series, and in this episode, we're just kind of going to talk through the EMS capabilities of Gilmer County Fire Rescue. To do that, I brought in a, a guest today. Our guest today is Chief Terrence Evans. Chief Terrence Evans was recently promoted to EMS Chief. What was that? Two months ago. So he's uh, two months in, and in those two months, we have seen a lot of productivity and a lot of forward movement, so I'm excited to have him here. Uh, Chief, will you just kind of give us a little bit of your background and how you got to where we sit today? Absolutely. Uh, glad to be here. So started out in Fire and EMS uh, roughly about 14 years ago. Uh, started in Fannin County, actually. And as a youngster, I wanted to see some action. So I went to the city of Atlanta, worked for Grady and also for Royal Metro and spent quite a bit of time there in the inner city, just trying to get the experience, see some things early on and was, uh, was afforded those opportunities, luckily, and spent the last 12 years uh, with Pickens County Fire and EMS and have been with Gilmer County since about 2017. And along the times, you know, just got to sit back and watch and see see the things that we were very good at and the things that we could improve in. And once I took office, you know, I already had that game plan of, of where the vision that I had, where, where I wanted to go and along with the help of a lot of other people, including yourself, uh, got the backing from the chiefs and the commission board. And so we have been able to do a lot of things very quickly. So, it, you know, I think it's safe to say you've got a lot of unique experiences, both in the rural EMS environment, as well as the more metro environment in Grady. And I think a lot of that is beneficial to us and a department this size. So I think um, a lot of that plays together with a lot of, of what we've been able to do. Absolutely. I've been able to take the best from both worlds. Uh, you know, rural EMS isn't big on scene times, things like that, to where that, you know, when you're in that inner city, you've, you've got that for your pack level one calls, you've got 10 minutes to get off of that scene. And if you were not, there's questions as to why. And it's just the small things like that, that I was able to incorporate up here to make things better. So for, the, for our listeners that don't have experience in fire and EMS, can you explain a little bit about the pack one, just so we can kind of give a little background on what we mean by that? So pack one is, it's a PAC, patient acuity category. And a pack one level call would be your more severe calls, multi-system trauma, STEMI, stroke, and STEMI just, you know, is a heart attack. So with, with those calls, time is of the essence. If you were spending a lot of time on scene, there's not a whole lot that we can do for those patients. We are working on being able to do more for them with some of the drugs that we will be bringing in, medications. Uh, but the biggest thing we need to do is get off scene, right. get them to definitive care. Yeah, and we're going to dig into this a little bit more as we go, um, especially the evidence-based medicine thing, which I think is safe to say is a passion of both of ours. So so newly promoted EMS division chief, we've kind of got, we know where, how you got to this part. So kind of 
Can you give us some of your your philosophy and some of your goals going forward from here? You know, not so much. We don't need to dive into some of the stuff we'll talk about, but just kind of personally and just your vision for EMS in, in Gilmer County. I think the biggest thing for me is over the years, medicine has been my passion. Do not get me wrong. I love fighting fire, and anyone who knows me knows that I'm right there with you. But medicine is, since high school has been a passion. And EMS in general, I think, is becoming a dying breed. It's just, you know, the passion to do the job is not there anymore. And my goal personally is to create an environment, a culture for Gilmore County that our paramedics love being paramedics, want to be the absolute best practitioners they can be, and my job is to make sure that I give them the tools, the education, and ability to do that. Yeah, and I think I think we're kind of uniquely set up to do some pretty cool things here because of the environment we're in, the folks we have. And, and we're not saying we have amazing practitioners already, but we're talking about elevating everyone to not just amazing but exceptional. We want to be the best in the area. And I, and I think with your backing, I, I see us going that way. We're going to kind of a little bit um, further in this episode, we'll, we'll dive into some of the things we're doing to see that happen. So can you kind of talk us through our EMS capabilities here in Gilmer County? You know, for those of, for our listeners, whether they are citizens who don't know anything about this or uh, listeners who are just interested in what we do that may be in fire and EMS, can you talk through our capabilities, where we're sitting, call volume, things like that? I mean, honestly, we're not in a bad place to begin with, which makes my job even, you know, easier going forward. We have we've had some very progressive leaders before myself who have done some good things for us. So uh, call volume-wise, we set at about 6,000, mixture between fire and EMS a year. With, with capabilities-wise, uh, we have had vents in the past. The state come out with a new level, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little while, a new licensure that you yeah. you have to get. Uh, so that has been done away with. However, we, you know, we have made steps in the in the route of of being able to go back to that. Our pharmaceutical abilities are probably top notch, especially for you know I would say even the southeast. We do we do some very good things and are very aggressive with those, and our. Our paramedic situation is, I would say, a lot better than some of the places in the state. And luckily for us, I would say that about all of all of our paramedics are very, you know, very driven and want to be practitioners and are, are good at what they do. And that just makes my job so much easier. Right. Well, when you're talking, I think, you know, we're talking about our, our paramedic staffing levels. I, I think there are six paramedics on duty today. Uh, you know, which is which is wild because for our listeners, we run, we try to run four ALS med units every day. And so to have extras and to be able to have rotations is something that a lot of places don't see. And I think it's a testament to a lot of the things that you've put into place. People are wanting to come work here and we're seeing a lot of that. So it's pretty exciting. Absolutely. And, you know, when it when you have that rotation, and by rotation we mean that the paramedic gets to get off of the ambulance and, and spend a shift or two on, on a fire apparatus. And I think that is key for longevity just because 
I don't care what anyone says, and I will argue this with anyone, EMS is the backbone. That is the workhorse. You know, you're running the majority of the calls. So to be able to afford them that ability, I think, will help us with retention going forward. And, you know, you just don't get that burnout. And when you can stay passionate about what you're doing, you're more prone to go get more education. And, you know, your documentation's better. There's less mistakes. So it's just all around better for everyone. And most importantly, your patient care is improving, and that's really the goal of all of it. And we're seeing that when you put people in the right place and you take care of them, we're better able to take care of our citizens, which is the main mission. And and to kind of talk about the backbone of what we do, uh, we talked to Chief Kaufman and I talked to in the first episode, you know, EMS is on a national average 85% of what we do. Yes. I've- and – I would say that that number is increasing. And so we've got to have the right staff in place. You've got to have people, not just at the paramedic level, but even our EMTs, we're seeing passion in them when it comes to the stuff because it is the core of what we do. It is the majority of what we spend our days doing. Yeah, and for for me on the EMT subject, you know, you've heard me speak on it many times. I just believe that if your protocol allows you to do something – my standard is that you will have it done so that even if a an AMT arrives on a fire truck before an ambulance gets there, they are going to have things done prior to the paramedic yeah. getting there. And, you know, that getting that practitioner on scene, that, that care provider on scene quicker and have the ability, the knowledge, and the willingness to do things is paramount. Yeah. Well, and, I th- and you know, there's a, f- a flow chart that goes around a lot. Foam Frat does one that says – you know, is this intervention indicated? Uh, yes or no? Am I close to the hospital? And it, it, basically the point is, is we still do it. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me if we're two minutes from the hospital or if you're the AEMT on scene with an engine or with a, a med unit that's two minutes away. If something's indicated, we expect that our folks do it because it's what's best for the patients. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, once again, it's just one of those things where I was lucky my EMTs, paramedics here make me look good, and it's really them. It's it's not a whole lot of counting to me. It's just the quality of EMTs and paramedics we have that that really do make my position so so much better. And I can, as someone that's heavily involved in the EMS training side, I agree. You know, uh, just yesterday we were able to take four of our folks. And I, there's a post on Facebook. I'm gonna I'm gonna give their names. We had paramedic Kevin Guerin, also known as Bull. We've got uh, para, uh, firefighter paramedic Philip Boyle, Lieutenant Jeffrey Daves, and now probationary firefighter Aaron Kennedy got to go in front of the Board of Commissioners yesterday to be recognized because of their efforts, and it was collective. All four of those ended up being involved in a call where a patient went into cardiac arrest, and they were able to resuscitate the patient, get him to where he needed to go, and then he went home less than two weeks later the same way he walked in the hospital. And for those listening that don't know, 90% of people that go into cardiac arrest are not coming back. And the percentage that come back with a neurological deficit, meaning they can't function in one form or the other, is even higher. So the fact that the guy went home is a testament to how awesome our folks are. And that, that to me is at the time, my favorite part is at the time, probationary firefighter Kennedy was a student and was in the right place at the right time. And he was the one that went, hey, that guy just went unresponsive and went, he's in cardiac arrest. And just all how the whole call came together is really cool, I think. 
Absolutely. And, you know, as a, as a practitioner, it would be very easy to say, hey, this patient's unstable. I don't feel comfortable doing this. But those two paramedics, you know, yeah. they, they knew the outcome, what the outcome would be if they did not, yeah. you know, move forward with this and assisted the hospital in, you know, the, the resuscitative process and provided, you know, great care on the way down. I've had nothing but compliments from, from the hospital that that individual went to. It's just, it's so nice to see that, you know, there are people out there that are willing to, right. you know, do the hard thing because yep. that's not easy. No, that's a hard decision. Yeah. And, and, I, and I'm thankful that uh, down the road, we're going to be able to, one of our future episodes, we're going to talk a lot about this cardiac arrest thing. And there's, there's two other saves that I know of just from this year from um, our tracking. So for our listeners, what we've started doing, uh, we know the CARES registry exists. We're waiting for some things to happen and to be involved a little more in that. But we're doing internal tracking of every cardiac arrest that we have, whether that's a, you know, worked on scene, however the outcome, we're tracking outcomes, bystander CPR. And we're going to talk about that coming up as well, about the importance of bystander CPR uh, when we do the cardiac arrest episode. I think the crazy thing is, is that Bull, uh, paramedic Garen, actually served in my role in Bartow County for a lot of years. Yeah. And to have, I think we're, he's going on 31 years now. Yeah. That is wild. Uh, you know, uh, one of the big challenges I face is that the average turnover right now for a paramedic or the life would, you know, for a paramedic is like five years. So yeah. pe- people aren't staying in the business. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't always like that. The fact that, that he stuck around is a testament to his passion for this job because COVID changed a lot. And there's no secret about that. Yeah, and that's that's not just EMS. That is that is healthcare in general. Uh, you know, very close with a lot of a lot of RNs, a lot of doctors, and you know, I hear the same. They've got the same issues that we have when it comes to staffing retention. Uh, you know, it's just it's one of the difficulties that COVID brought along with it. I think that the healthcare system was strained, and. COVID just really, really pushed it yeah. to a whole nother level. Yeah. And again, I think it's a testament too to what we're doing because we are seeing guys like Bull and then we're seeing more folks come here. And and I think, again, I have to give you, Chief Kaufman, credit. The, the things that are in place from above are making it easier for all of us, whether it's easier for me on the education level, it's easier for me when I'm on the truck. So we're, we're seeing some cool stuff. And one of the big things I want to talk about, really want to kind of put you on the spot on is protocols. Can you, you kind of talk about our protocols, where we're at, where we're going with that? Because I think that's some really good information our community needs to know, people need to know. So our protocols right now are not, you know, they're not bad. We have very progressive protocols currently. But with anything, it can always be better. And when I say better, I mean I want to do the most good f- that we can for the citizens. And with that, we are adding, we have already got in our ventilators. Uh, we have got IV pumps. We have brand new protocols coming out that are based not just because, hey, we've done this for, you know, the last 30 years in EMS, but it actually has some science behind it saying, hey, this is effective or 
we're not going to do this because it is not effective or there's more harm comes from it than good because after all, we are here to provide the best care that we can do no harm. Yeah. And, you know, with that is going to come a lot of education and it will take us, you know, quite a while to get the education and process because we want to make sure that everyone is on the same page, that there are, you know, there's no weak links. Everybody is is set, ready to go before we just turn this stuff out. So we will spend the next several months educating, practicing, and making sure that, that we are very good at what we do. Right. Some of the things that are exciting, too, with these protocols, so you've mentioned the vans, you've mentioned the pumps, and the pumps open a whole new realm for us when it comes to some of the medications, and not just we could have given the medications without the pumps. However, our safety profile is now higher. We've got redundancy built in. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, over time you've you've had to have heard, and I'm sure any any paramedics listening know that there are a lot of drugs that because they were on a drip, such as dopamine, people just did not feel comfortable because it was a drip. Yeah. And the the IV pumps take take that out. Yeah. You know, you 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 plug your numbers in, it does the math and stuff for you, and you're set to go. It's yeah. just it's really comes down to knowing when and when not to use certain Definitely. medications. So we previously talked about that cardiac arrest, and that cardiac arrest was a result of a STEMI. You mentioned STEMI earlier. So for those of you that aren't familiar, that's commonly referred to as a heart attack. It is STEMI stands for ST elevated myocardial infarction. ST segment elevated myocardial infarction. And basically what that means is, is those of us on the truck have done a 12 lead. We can see changes in the electrical activity of the heart that tell us that something bad's going on. One of the cool protocol changes that we have coming up in conjunction with the facilities around us that are able to provide STEMI care is that of heparin. You kind of tell us a little bit about heparin and the benefits that our, our community is going to see from its administration. Absolutely. And when you when you go into the hospital and it just say you went in POV, your own personal vehicle, one of the first things they are going to do is you know start some kind of uh, medication treatment that will stop the clotting process because we don't want the clot to continue to get bigger because that is what's blocking off the blood flow from from your heart. So they will start that medication process before you even, you know, get moving to the cath lab and have that clot either removed, stented, or, you know, whatever they elect to do. So us being able to do that early in the treatment process is going to be I think we'll we'll give a lot of a lot of good benefit to the patients down the road because you know time is muscle when it comes to the heart and the brain and the sooner that we can we can stop that the better right and, and that again it's an evidence based change that's I I think I speak for both of us that's our passion if we do something it's based on that, that evidence we talked about and that means Without diving too deep, that means it's standard of care, peer-reviewed medicine, and there's evidence that shows that our administration of heparin in the field improves outcomes. And there's also evidence that we've seen instances of those that have history using heparin have seen the changes that we see on the 12 leads. So when we see that change on the 12 lead, the electrical activity of the heart, 
we know that something bad is going on. There's a hundred percent occlusion and that occlusion has been seen to go away with heparin, especially in these long transports. Absolutely. And you know, the thing is, is there's, there's other medications out there, but they just don't have the same backing. Right. And when we took this to our medical director, who was very luckily for us is super involved in everything that we do when it comes to medicine this is, you know, with the science and everything and just at, from his experience being in the ER, this is this is what we went with. So I uh, I see that, you know, in the future we will we will be doing a lot more for our patients. Yeah. And so our medical director, uh, we I hope to get him in in a future episode. Our medical director is Dr. Ron Bukite, who is the Region 1 uh, medical director. He is also an ED physician at Erlanger in Chattanooga, and he has a wide variety of experience in EMS. Um, he so is a busy guy, yeah. man. He, he really is. But I will say this, and I'm not used to it, but I can text him call him and within, you know, five minutes, I will either get a text back, phone call back, something. And, you know, he just randomly pops in. How you doing? Can I get you anything? You need anything? Everything great? Yeah. Just not used to that. And that's yeah. that's just another one of those things that we've, you know, luckily been afforded in where we work is that you most places just don't have medical directors who are that involved. And, you know, we'll probably talk about it later on, but the FTO process, the field training officer, Coming down for the interviews for that, just, man, yeah. you can't say enough good things about him. Yeah, and I, I have to agree. You know, I had an interesting case one night to where some things weren't – we needed to talk to a to a physician, and I called him at 3 in the morning, and he answered. And he's also the guy that remembers your the names of the folks. You know, it's easy for him to remember us. We deal with them all the time, but he'll remember the names of the other people involved. He He's engaged. He's – constantly asking, hey, how are things going? What can I do? It's just, it's a very unique thing. A lot of services don't have that, don't have that accessibility and have someone who cares. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up the FTO program. So um, there's a lot of other protocol changes coming. The heparin, I think, is one of the exciting ones. We could dive off into a lot of deep medicine that would, I think we'd lose a lot of our listeners right now because there's a lot of other changes coming that are really cool that are going to be really cutting edge. We're going to save those for an education podcast going that will be probably more targeted for those than any EMS. But just know, I want our community to know that the heparin is one of many changes that are going to improve outcomes and just improve the overall treatment of both the citizens and visitors of Gilmer County. And this is not a stagnant process for us. We will continue staying with, you know, the trends and the science behind everything and, you know, it's like I told our, our protocol committee, we're not doing these, you know, we're not turning these out this year and then we'll revisit them in 10 years. This will be, this will be, you know, an ever quarter thing that we sit down like, hey, is there new science? Is there something better that we could be doing for the citizens? And, and that protocol committee is, I failed to bring that up. It has been a really cool thing because we've taken, we took a group of people, EMTs and paramedics. We set the expectation of we want everything to be evidence-based and patient-centric, and we handed that process to the folks here. And that's a credit to you of, of giving ownership to folks, and we've, we've seen a lot of benefits. So when we talk about these protocols, this is 
been a collective effort of a lot of people who are engaged in the care of our citizens, our community. And it's been a really cool thing to see. Yeah, and I mean, for myself, you know, these guys are the, the ones out there delivering the care. They they deserve to have a voice in in what we do. I don't think it would be wise of me to just say, hey, this is what we're doing. I think things are done, you know, at a at a higher level when you involve multiple people. Yeah, I and I agree, and I appreciate that you've trusted folks with this, and we've got some other committees too. We've got a QAQI committee that's coming up, and we're trying to just hand off this stuff and let people run with it. So that's a kind of a overview of where we're at on protocols. Talk to me a little bit about the FTO program. So the FTO program has been about a year-long process. We, you know, noticed that, and this isn't just our service, you know, alone, there are a lot of places that just because of staffing or, or whatever the circumstances may be, you get a new employee and, you know, they may ride a 12-hour shift just to kind of get the feel of things and then they're set off on their own. And I don't believe that that sets people up to be successful. So we kind of compiled some documents, looked at some some different studies and different agencies that utilize this type of program. And what it is is that you have someone who is knowledgeable of the system, knowledge, you know, has respect and knows what they are doing as a clinician and can pass that information, that education on and make sure that when these new employees are released on their own, that they have everything that they need to be successful, whether that's hospital addresses, phone numbers, door codes, whatever it is, they know. Right. But also on the education side for us is that I know that you know the protocols. You know, we have, we have given you a protocol book, you have studied it, you have passed a written exam, and you have also passed multiple scenarios. And once again, you know, Dr. Bakite will be involved with that. And it's just so that we know that you are ready to go. And it's it's not a punitive thing. It's not to stop anyone from practicing. It's just we want to I want to see you be successful. So we're right. we're going to do everything we possibly can to give you every tool that we have to make that possible. To start with, you all have to forgive us a lot. We sometimes talk in acronyms, technical jargon, because this is the world we live in. And so we may forget some stuff. One thing, FTO stands for Field Training Officer. This is part of the FTEP program, the Field Training Evaluation Program. So I apologize for that. We're, we're probably going to catch that quite a bit because this, <laughs> yeah, is, sure. this is the life we live. You know, we're just so used to saying these these things. So that's kind of um, what an FTO process is. So we've kind of started, and one of the cool things, this is a year-long process. This and the protocols are something that uh, you and I started working on well before you even had any idea that you might even put in to promote for chief before we even know there'd be an opening. And so it's been a long process and, and that's a lot of work has gone into. And, and as you said, this isn't a punitive process. This is a process of us protecting our community by making sure the people that we have taken care of, of others are, are trained and educated, protecting our, our employees by saying, Hey, this is the documentation showing they know what they're doing because EMS is a high-risk 
environment. It is, if a department is going to have trouble, it's going to be on the EMS side historically. And so we have a lot of things that we need to do. An FTO process isn't unique to us. We looked at a lot of other FTO programs. The problem is, is there's never a one-size-fits-all. And that's very true. We took, we took you know, the best pieces of, of different ones and molded one that would fit to us. Because for a lot of these agencies that do this, they are strictly EMS. Yeah. And for us, we, we are fire and EMS. And it's my belief that if you were going to work for a department that does both, that you should take both very seriously and be good at both sides. And so we had to incorporate the fire side with the EMS side. Of course, you know, we we hyper fixated on the EMS side and kind of left the fire side to to the battalions and stuff like that. But our goal is is to have very, very good practitioners and very, very good firemen. So let's um, take a step back. So the first process is getting FTOs in place, which is your field training officers. The field training officers are the folks that will actually be responsible for the training, be responsible for checking off. So this was completely your idea, one of the really unique ideas that we've implemented as part of this and pretty cool. Will you talk through your vision for how the FTO selection process was put together and kind of how we're... How this brought so so our listeners know we're in the middle of this process now. So correct, we're currently working towards this end goal, and the pieces are in place. So we just kind of talk through that. Yes. So just like with everything else, we wanted fail safe. So I didn't want to put someone out as a field training officer that wasn't qualified. So we're we're going to go through a process to vet, make sure everyone is you know to where that. I feel that they are capable of doing the things as an FTO that I would need them to do. So it started out with a letter of intent, and that was just showing that you were interested. And then the next step will be a written test and a couple of practical scenarios. And for those who make it through that, then we will go into a board interview, which once again, Rhombokite will be be a part of. And I... I, I keep bringing it back to that just because it is, it's an amazing thing to have, man. It really is. So, you know, through this, it's kind of a lengthy process, but it shows me that you're dedicated and that you have the passion to to be an FTO because the thing that I also want is not just to make sure that these people are educated and that they are able to do the job. I want someone out there who is going to instill the love for the job. Right. And it just goes back to that, you know, this is a uh, it's a dying breed, and I want people to be excited to be paramedics, to be AMTs, and to have the privilege because that's what it is to to take care of yeah. the citizens of Gilmer County. To work the best job in the world, absolutely. And, and one of the things, so there's three key phrases that we expected that we expect, and and I'm I'm including myself in this. I will I've put in for the FTO process. I don't know where I'll be in a couple of weeks or where if I'll be selected or not. But out of the FTOs, we expect them to be educators. So we expect them to be people who want to teach and expect them to be, you know, on top of protocols and on top of the latest evidence. We expect them to be evaluators, meaning that they fairly and objectively know, all right, this person is ready or not. And, and my, whenever I talk about clearing somebody for anything, 
always put it in the perspective of, is that the person you want taking care of your, your child, your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your loved ones. And then finally a role model, which is, you know, that, that love for the job, the enthusiasm, the teamwork, all of that. Yeah. Because it's one of those things that you can't tell people do as I say, not as I do. It's, you should be doing the things that you are preaching. Yeah. And we also, I feel like the FTO, an FTO should be a prestigious position. And I think going through this process, people will have something to be proud of. It's not like, oh, yeah, you're here, you're an FTO. It's like, no, you've gone through this process and you've proven that, A, you want to do it, B, you're capable, and C, it's something that you're going to put time into. Yeah, this is this is definitely an earned position. It's not just, you know, we're a walkout. Hey, congratulations, today you're an FTO. So this is one of those things that I wish coming up that I had yeah. gotten to be a part of. And, you know, most of the places I worked just did not offer that type of, of position. But I've still still an educator. I love I love medicine and I love helping people to be better at what they do or or even if I'm just sharing something that they don't know, a lot of times, even as a as an FTO or as an educator, you're going to learn something from them as well. It's right. just that that exchange of information is going to happen, and so it just makes everybody better at the end of the day. So the the real unique piece that I was alluding to is is the FTO board. So you you came up with an idea that I had never even considered. You talked through kind of how you decided to compose this FTO board, and you know, the importance of, of why we went the way we did. So we deal with a lot of people uh, as EMS professionals, the hospital, uh, our medical directors, doctors, nurses, whoever. So I wanted a mixture of people from each, each walk of life, and I think that that will give us our, our best outcome. Uh, we wanted to have, you know, people from the hospital, Obviously, our medical director, uh, we've got some some folks from other services uh, yep. that are coming in, and it's just one of those things to where that it gives you that diversity, and, and you'll get those differing opinions, and I think that that's very important. Yeah, and I, and I think using outsiders is beneficial because it's not folks here, and it's someone that is coming in with an outside viewpoint that is objective and saying it's going to be easier for them to go, is this the person I want training the people that will take care of my family? Right. And even for myself, I will, you know, for the interviews, I will set in, but just just to make sure that the flow of things right. happens, I will not have a voice in it. This will be determined by by that board. And I think that is important because then it's not, you know, oh, well, Chief Evans likes so and so. It it keeps it. It's a very fair process to me, and that is that is what I want. Fairness and consistency are very very important when it comes to stuff like this. Yeah. So we'll get through that. Our FTO should be selected soon. This process is already kind of in place. We've already got you know. For those of you that have paid attention to our Facebook and our, our I believe the introduction episode, we talked about some. We just had a lot of people finish EMT school. So we're already in the process of training them and using a lot of the things that are showing that, all right, we believe this person is competent in these skill areas and is able to do this. So we're already, a lot of this is already in place. Yes. So the FTO program was another big step. We've talked about the IV pumps. We've talked about the equipment. 
what are your goals from here? Where do you see us? What are some of the, your vision going forward? I think a lot of it has to do with just inter- you know, that interaction with the, with the citizens we serve. I think that you know, we should be out a little bit more and be involved in, in the community. And so if we can do that, that is, you know, one of my big goals is just get us out there with the people that we serve and let them see what we do and what we're capable of. And I think that builds trust in that, you know, they, you show up to their house, well, that's Lieutenant Sergeant. I got to meet him at, you know, a touch of truck day or just whatever it may be. The people know us. And I think that that is, that is very, very important. And you know, along with that, just continue providing excellent care and, you know, just going above and beyond if, if you know, we get called to Granny's house and all she's needing is a glass of water, we go get that glass of water and we do it with a smile. I think there's a, a lot to be said for that. I think Chief Kaufman and I got to talk about some of the, the really cool things some of our crews are doing, and we're seeing folks step up and go above and beyond in ways that they don't have to. It's not in their job description to take food places, to to do these extra things. And our folks love the community, and, and we're really trying to instill that and you know create an environment where that just happens organically. Um, yeah, and the thing is, is you know, I expect my our paramedics and our EMTs to be professionals, but at the end of the day, you're still a person, and I I want you to treat people with kindness and respect and, you know, just treat them like they're family. And honestly, I've, I can't tell you how many stories I've had come back to me to where that our crews have just, you know, went above and beyond to, to do that. And it's amazing to hear. Yeah. And we're going to showcase a lot of that. We've got folks doing some pretty cool stuff, running some unique calls. We're going to bring them in and talk about some of that. You know, obviously there's some personal information we can't share. Some things are going to have to be kept vague. But we can showcase some of that. And that's what this is a tool to is we want to use this to recognize our, P, our paramedics, our EMTs that are out there doing this job every day, but also to let our community know what's going on. Yes. And, you know, one of the big things for me, too, was is just recognizing those people. And this is a great podium to do that. And, you know, just like you said last night, we got to go in front of the commission board and present some uh, some awards and I think over a long career, that's that's very important to be recognized. You know, just that pat on the back of like, hey, you're you're doing great, and we appreciate you. So that is, you yeah. know, that's that's one of the keys that that I want to focus on too is just making sure that people are recognized and we understand how hard they're working and what they're doing, and you know, just providing that that solid culture of a place to where that this is where that they want to come to work every day. And, you know, you're not waking up at 7 o'clock in the morning thinking, oh, gosh, don't want to go there. That's that's not what we want. And I don't think that, that we, we foster that type of environment now. Right, yeah. I can speak for myself. I know I like coming to work. I enjoy every day coming in and working as much as I can. I enjoy being here. This is my family. Yeah, and that's, you know, we have June 26th, another 14 coming in the door and that's one of the things we preach to them is you know you have your family family your blood family but man I can't tell you how many how many lifelong friends I've made in this service and it's just you know you you see things and do things that that most people are are not privy to and and you you build those bonds over the years 
Well, and that kind of leads me into the next thing. You, know, you talked about the 14 coming in. We've talked about our response capabilities, but we haven't even touched on education, which education just finished um, in the last year. We completed two basic EMT classes and two advanced EMT classes, which I don't think there's any way to explain to where people can understand the amount of work that went into that process. And you, Chief Evans, is our instructor coordinator, meaning he's the one that the state looks to and says, all right, this is your EMS program because we are an EMS training program for the state of Georgia. Yes, and my first solo class was here at Gilmer County. And luckily for myself, we have great regional representation when it comes to EMS, and I can't begin to tell you how helpful Scott Lewis was, who is the the Region 1 Education Director. I mean, just you cannot beat the guy. He is just amazing He's he's one I I am hoping we can get to come sit down and talk about some of that because it's been an amazing help to us as we've navigated a lot of things. Yes, and there's a lot of paperwork. There's a you know there's a lot of learning that goes into it at when it comes to the paperwork. When it comes to the recruits, you know that was just a a wild idea of hey short staffing let's fix it by raising our own, and luckily enough we were able to to do that. Yeah. for those guys and gal women that just finished that, I mean, they were they were pretty lucky. When I went through EMT school, we had to pay for it ourselves, and you had to go find a place to do it. And yep, a lot of times working on top of that, and it just the fact that we can bring folks here, pay them to go to fire school, pay them to become EMTs, and they get to do it at, at their home department. It's not an opportunity that existed up this way. No, and and I'm very proud of that and I'm very proud we have you know our EMT B pass rate through three tries is 100% uh, through for our first time attempts 93% and I don't have the I want to say right around 70% for AMT which is very good comparative to the national average of 52% so you know this was this was our first A class I think we learned AMT class I think we have learned a tremendous amount that we'll, you know, we'll be looking to yeah. increase those numbers dramatically this time. Yeah, and I think we learned a lot. With, you know, we, I talked to Chief Coffin about this. We learned a lot in CODA. We learned a lot in the initial EMT program. We learned a lot in the A program. It's just a, there's been a lot of learning opportunities, ways that we've figured out. We may need to make some adjustments, and, and that's exciting to see that going forward. So that's initial education. Talk to me about con- continuing education. Con Ed is a lot of times what you refer to, CECUs. Talk to me about it and the importance of it in your mind, your your mindset on it. Well, for me, it's one of those things to where that a lot of times you get that, you get your license and people get complacent. And my paramedic instructor told me, he said, hey, the smartest paramedic you will be is the day that you come out of paramedic school. Because from there, everybody gets lazy. And... That is something that we we fight to, you know, we, I will say, I won't say fight, we, we negate it by frequent education, whether it is through NAEMT courses, American Heart Association courses, or just refreshers for National Registry, but we also try to bring in, you know, people from different, different departments, whether that be Life Force, <laughs> Air Life, Kennestone, Northside, Piedmont, these people provide great education and it's, you know, eventually they're going to get tired of you or myself up there 
you know, talking and just a new face with new information is better. And, you know, these, a lot of these classes, such as the 12 league classes, these cardiologists are way better at this than, yeah. than we are. I mean, they, they spent a long time doing it. So I think that goes without saying, but they have more to offer than, you know, yeah. than we do. And it's, it's great to have the ability to bring them in. And my focus is, is to make sure that, you know, that old Testament is not true that, you, you know, you weren't the smartest the day you come out of paramedic school that yeah. we are going to make you, you know, better, better clinicians. And that's, I say clinicians because I want critical thinkers. I right. want people who, you know, just don't, you know, rely on that, that protocol book. They, they can think for themselves. They, they know they, the why. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. And that's what we, we try to foster here. And, you know, we've already been looking down the road to the state is hopefully going to adopt the critical care level. And so we've already, you know, started taking those steps of getting our paramedics geared and ready, yeah. you know, to make that move. And I think that that if that does happen, that will be a a tremendous step forward for the state of Georgia for EMS. When we say we're being progressive, it's we're we're trying to stay three steps ahead. We're looking at what the state's doing. We're attending the state meetings. And we're trying to stay ahead of it so we can anticipate what they're doing and we're ready. And the critical care is a, a big part of that, that we're already trying to put pieces into place. So when that goes live, I hope we're one of the first services in, in the state that is at that level. Yes, and that's, you know, we're already yeah. trying to find educators to come in and, and make sure that, you know, we meet all of the standards set forth by the Office of OEMS and Trauma for Georgia and that not only can they pass a test, but they are, you know, once again, just adequately prepared and capable of doing the things that they will be, you know, asked to do in the future. Yeah. And, you know, part of the con ed process is, is paramedics, EMTs have to have a certain number of hours. And historically, people have had to go elsewhere. And I would, I wouldn't, well, I would like to say I would never let that happen, but my goal is to make sure that right. that never happens. I don't believe that, you know, our our people should have to go pay out of their pocket to maintain a license that we require them to have to work here. So, you know, since since I have been here, that is something that we have always done in-house. We have made sure that, you know, they were able to meet their their requirements for national registry and for the state of Georgia. You know, so much of that, when you go pay somewhere else, you're doing it to check a box. And one of the things that we can focus on, you know, obviously every protocol change coming has to have training attached. And those training trainings will have state numbers, so they count. But we're able to tailor training to what we need in Gilmer County, which is different than what Grady needs in Atlanta or any other place. So it's tailored to our folks. It's free. It's taught on shift, and I think I think we just come out better that way. I think again, the community and and our employees end up in a better place because of that. Yeah, and um, you know, like I said before, these guys do so much, and women do so much for me that it would, you know, I I could not look them in the eyes and be like, hey, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna need you to go spend four hundred and fifty dollars to maintain your license. So yeah. Yeah, it's just one of those things to where that. We've got really great employees, and I want to make sure that that they are taken care of. Yeah, and I and I think I think you've done a good job of that. And I'm 
I'm excited about the direction we're going on that front. You also mentioned the American Heart Association. We're fortunate to be an American Heart Association training site. And you know, like I said, we're going to do an episode focused on cardiac arrest. It's it's kind of a, a, a big thing that kind of needs its own time set aside for because of our AHA training site designation. We can teach all those classes in-house. And we can also do that with our community. And that's something that pay attention to as we come up. We're going to be doing classes with our community, whether it's CPR, Stop the Bleed, and those. But we're also an NAEMT training site, which an NAEMT is a organization that tailors training towards EMS personnel. And so we're able to do those classes in-house. And that opens up a wide variety of, of classes. And when we do those classes, it's not you and I standing up there saying, oh, this person passed this test or this class because we developed the test. It's a third party and a third party test and we're able to validate the training and validate where our people are. And I think that's important too. Yeah, and just, you know, going back to to the uh, reaching out to the public, you know, that is that is one of the things I would love to see is that we we start, you know, teaching teaching the CPR, the hands-only stuff and Stop the Bleed. Stop the Bleed, for anybody who isn't aware, is a, a program that was developed after so many of the mass casualty shootings or, you know, it really just kind of, you can tailor it to fit any any scenario, but one of the things that we found were people were dying from from bleeding and it could have been prevented, whether it was a gunshot to the arm that, you know, we just wouldn't be treated normally if we can reach the masses with this information, then we are we are going to make a difference. Whether it's you know it at home that we've you know you've come and taken one of these classes and you know someone gets cut with a knife on accident or you know whatever accident it may be, you have the knowledge to do that even at home. Yeah, and we're like I said, we're going to come back to this in an episode because we need to spend so much time talking about what our community members can do that helps us and helps their families and increases survival of these things. So look forward to that. Look forward to a lot of this outreach stuff because I know that's a passion of yours and I know that's something that that we'll move towards. So is there anything I've missed as far as kind of where we're at? We've talked to FTO. We've talked equipment. Anything you can think of before I really put you on the spot on the next one? (laughs) Not that I can think of off the top of my head. All right. Chief Evans, what is our biggest need right now that the community needs to know about? What are the what are the needs of the EMS division of Gilmer Fire Rescue? I will be honest, we we have had the support and the thing pretty much anything that I've I've come to to Chief Kaufman or the Commission Board with. Uh, you know, a lot of the things they can't help, and one of those would be just the procurement of apparatuses and you know the. COVID really, really wrecked havoc on just being able to get a chassis for an ambulance. You know, outside of that, just just the continued continued support of, of what we do. And I think, you know, through the years we've we've honestly had that. And, you know, I just hope that that we have provided the service that, that they feel like that they've that they deserve. And and I think we're escalating that service. We're making things better and with that in the future, there's going to be things we, I know you and I have talked about, you know, some dreams for down the road and there's going to be a need for more money eventually. And I'm hoping the community sees what we're doing and sees that when we come asking, it's 
because we care about you, and that's that's not just for fancy toys. Absolutely. I mean, it, you know, simple things like, you know, the IV pumps, those those are not cheap. The Lucas devices, those those are not cheap, but they are... Talk about the Lucas device, though, for those that don't know. So a Lucas device is a plunger-type CPR device, and it, what it does is, it, one, it provides continuous compressions because that's what we want. Any interruption in compressions is is obviously bad. It takes a long time to kind of prime that heart back up and get blood flowing again when you when you start your compressions over. And with the Lucas device, you, know, you hook it up and you hit play, and it does great, great compressions for you. And it doesn't stop until you stop it. It doesn't get tired. Nope. And, you know, when you're moving the patient from, if you move the patient from the house to the truck, you don't have that couple of minutes of interrupted compressions because I don't care who you are. If you were standing on the side of a stretcher trying to do compressions, they are not adequate. So having the Lucas device is huge. And I think that if we went back and pulled the statistics, I would I would venture to say, I can't guarantee it, but I would venture to say that ROSC has most definitely improved. And, and know, ROSC is the return of spontaneous yep. circulation, which Just, means the heart has started pumping again. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things, just like with that crew that took took the, uh, the STEMI down that went into cardiac arrest, we now have vents. We will have the education rolled out for that and the protocols, everything very soon with, with that patient. Uh, you know, Recruit Kennedy had to use a BVM, a bag valve mask, to ventilate this patient for quite a bit of time with the backing of, of Chief Kaufman and the commission board and the public, we now have ventilators. Yep. We hook them up to that vent, and, you know, you, you've you heard it in your career, I'm sure, and there's tons of people who have who have, oh, well, we'll just bag them using the BVM. It's not the same thing. No. And the it may sound like the vents are just saving us work, but it's saving – it's actually – better for the patient. Yeah, you're getting, you know, you can control your peep, your peak uh, expiratory and pressure. You can control your tidal volume, your rate. You know, if the patient has some kind of metabolic or, rest, you know, respiratory, you know, issue, you can set your your parameters to meet, to meet that. And I'm trying not to get too in-depth with it, but it it is, yeah. the vent is much better than us you know, squeezing a bag. And, and the thing is, is we know for sure with the vent how much tidal volume is going in, how much air is going in. So we're not, it takes out the chance that we're, you know, causing causing more harm. And it's just overall better for the patient. Yeah. So, and, and the point of all that is, is it seems like we were expensive. We got a lot of these quote unquote toys, but each one of these things that we end up coming and asking for is better for patients, it's based in evidence, and it's safer. Yeah, and I will say at the point we're at right now should be the gold standard across the board for everybody. We're very fortunate. Not a lot of places have have the capabilities that we've been afforded. And in, in the end, it's just it's it's better for for the citizens. And that's really the me- the message of this whole thing is is everything we do on the EMS in the department in general, but especially focused on EMS right now, is focused on that patient and making sure that the decisions we're making and the things we're doing are best for that patient. And that's that's the goal. One hundred percent. So, 
Well, Chief Evans, I appreciate you being here. Is there anything that you want to add? Anything you want to say to our community? I, I, you will be back. Obviously, this is you, for folks that don't know. Chief Evans has been a core component of this. I went to him with the idea initially, and and he immediately hopped in with it. So, he is one that will be heavily involved in this, and not just on the on the EMS side, as he talked about previously. He is uh, very very passionate about the fire side as well, and I'm, he's going to be in on some of those episodes and and talking about some of the fire stuff as well. So he's a voice that you will come to know and love as well. So any final thoughts, any final message? Just how much I appreciate, you know, all the EMTs, paramedics that work here. You're doing a great job, and I couldn't be more proud. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you to all the listeners. We look forward to having you back. Look forward to another episode here shortly. Look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Gilmer County Fire Rescue Podcast.